welcome to the Seeing Deep Podcast, where we see deep in a shallow world by exploring our surrounding culture through a biblical lens. This month, we've been discussing renewing our mindset, and now we are turning our attention to part of mind renewal, finding hope. With me to help us do that is a friend of mine, Heather. Heather M. Dixon is an author, speaker, and Bible teacher who understands living with a story that is not easy. Diagnosed with an incurable and terminal genetic disorder that she inherited from her mother, she is passionate about encouraging and equipping women to trust in God, face their greatest fears, and live with hope, especially amid difficult circumstances. When she is not blogging at therescueletters.com or speaking at women's conferences and events, Heather loves to make the most of everyday moments, such as cooking for her husband and son, brainstorming all the possible ways to organize Legos and superheroes, checking out way too many library books, or unashamedly indulging in her love for all things Disney. Heather is a regular contributor to Journey Magazine and the author of the Women's Bible Studies Renewed, Finding Hope When You Don't Like Your Story, and Determined, Living Like Jesus in Every Moment. And so, y'all, Heather and I been, began the writing journey around the same time, and it is such a joy to see how God is using her to write these studies. Welcome to the show, Heather. Hey, thanks, Denise, and thanks to everyone listening. I'm so glad to be here and always a joy to connect with you again and just encourage one another and in the places where we've been, because I feel like we've just been journeying along together side by side since what, what was it, 2016? Yeah, when we so, met, right? Yeah, maybe, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm just, I'm so glad to be doing that uh, again and to be here. So thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a joy. You know, I, I may be, you guys, that we have her back every year because she just keeps turning out these studies <laughs> for the Lord. <laughs> well, the scripture for this episode is taken from Job one twenty one. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, first off, I'm just going to tell y'all, first off, the thought of me being naked in my casket. Okay. I don't want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to take this literal here, but the bottom line is we can take nothing with us. And I think when we hear or read this verse, it just is hard to take in. We feel betrayed by Mm. God when our story changes for the worse. In fact, we can make an idol out of our story and have an entitlement attitude when our story simply hurts. Mm -hmm. We don't feel as if we deserve our circumstances. So Heather, this study takes us through the book of Ruth through the eyes of Naomi. And I, I just love this story in scripture. What prompted you to write this book? Can you share a little of your personal story as well? Yeah, so I am the survivor of an incurable genetic disorder called vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, It makes my blood vessels, arteries, and organs prone to spontaneous rupture. Uh, We received this diagnosis right before I met you, actually, um, in in January of 2016. And, uh, you know, when we got it, my husband and I were like, great, what do we do? How do we tackle this? Um, you know, give us medicines that we can take to, you know, to, to ward this off and cure this thing. He said, there is no cure for vascular Ehlers-Danlos and there is no treatment. What I can tell you is to prepare your bucket list and live your life well, because the average life expectancy for someone with your condition is 48. 
I am about to celebrate my 44th birthday and birthdays were never a huge deal for me. I was like, well, it's just one more year, you know, big, big, big whoop. <laughs> and, but now they're a big deal because I know what a miracle it is that I am still breathing on this earth and mm-hmm. God alone receives the glory for that. But I'm going to tell you something, Denise, I do not like my story. I don't like that I have to live with this scary medical diagnosis. I don't like the ramifications of it for my family. I don't like thinking about leaving this earth sooner than I thought that I was going to. Um, I don't like, you know, leaving my son, thinking about, you know, not being able to raise him or see those moments like graduation from high school or college or marriage or kids. Maybe I'll get to see those things. Maybe I won't. I don't know. And so it's that part of my personal story that I just, I was like, God, I don't like my story. And I think that Naomi is the poster child for that. Mm. I write for two women, Denise. I write for my Marys who, uh, from, you know, Luke 10, who are sitting at the feet of Jesus, Mary and Martha. And Mary just wants to soak up all that wisdom from Jesus as she sits in discipleship at his feet. And my Marys are ones that just, they just want to get into the Bible and know their Bible better and know Jesus better and God better. And they just love learning about God's word and applying it to their lives. But I also write for what I affectionately call my Naomi's. And those are my girls just like me that are walking through stories that they didn't choose and they can't change. And I've got a lot of those women in my community. Mm. So that is why I wanted to write this book. I wanted to give, you know, those Naomi's like me a safe place to explore hard stories alongside the truth of God's word, because Naomi's story is a beautiful one. It ends with tragedy, or excuse me, it begins with tragedy, but it ends with hope, renewed hope. And I, you know, I just wanted a, a safe place to, for my community to walk through that, my readers to walk through the same journey. Mm. I know in my life when suddenly just tragic circumstances and this just brand new, total disheveled life, I don't know how else to put it, mm-hmm. I, I just remember every morning I'd wake up and I'd think, this is a nightmare. This isn't mm-hmm. true. Mm. And finally, just like, how can I accept this? Because it just wasn't my identity. It wasn't who I was. And I think one of the hardest things is to accept a story we didn't craft, right? It's yeah. not our idea. We have plans for our lives. <laughs> and, and when, like Job, things are taken away, can we really say, blessed be the name of the Lord? And I think it is knowing his name and knowing how he interacts with us that gave me so much hope. It was his promises. It was, this is who God is. I'm, mm. a, I'm surrounded by disaster. <laughs> but the one who knows me and knows my end, knows the end of my days, he's in complete control. Mm-hmm. Do I trust him? And, and yet, when we lose what we thought we owned, it can cause us to live more intentionally and make us more grateful, unless we give in to the bitterness in our soul. And I think of that bitterness with Naomi. Poor Naomi. She's gotten a bad rap probably over the years. but <laughs> She has. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share a little bit how you deal with fear or bitterness and find hope? Yeah. And I, I love that you said that, that she's gotten a bad rap, because I, you know, as I did the study for, you know, studying for writing this book, you know, I, I read a lot of 
commentaries and a lot of biblical scholars on the book of Ruth. And there are definitely scholars that land on one side or the other of, of our perception of Naomi. And it is, you know, one side that says, wow, she was too bitter. She blamed God. We shouldn't do these things. And the other side that said, you know what, her circumstances were actually quite harsher than Ruth or Orpah, her daughters-in-law. And she was well within her rights of expressing her emotions. Mm. And as she did it along the way, she still acknowledged God's sovereignty. And I think there's a clue there in how she responds to her bitterness um, to answer your question, you know, about how we can deal with that fear and bitterness and find hope. And I'll tell you that, you know, that one of the things that reading Naomi's story taught me is that it's okay to grieve. You have permission to grieve. And that was one of the initial ways that I dealt with it. I was honest with God to say, I don't like this story. And I know that you are in control. And I'm going to give myself space to grieve here. Because I think if we jump over that step, we are doing ourselves a disservice. Um, because mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge that this is this is not the way things should be. And that's not wallowing in self-pity. It's not, um, you know, it's not acknowledging that God is sovereign. Somewhere along the way, Denise, I think we have confused authentic grief with a lack of faith. Mm. And, you know, I love that you've pulled Job into this, you know, into our discussion because, you know, the study of Job is a study of grief. It is a study of loss. It's a study of, of you know, pointing our hearts back to God who is sovereign. And so I, I think that for me, you know, dealing with the fear and the bitterness, step one is to acknowledge that it's there, is to acknowledge that this is a broken world and we need Jesus because I think that an authentic authentic expression of grief is is the equivalent of saying this world needs a savior this world needs Jesus mm. um and and even Jesus he wept you know he wept when uh you know when Lazarus his friend died even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead just a few minutes later yeah so you know i i think that that is that is one of the ways where i just say if i'm having a hard day the months after my diagnosis were were dark and were you know, very, very much covered in a process of grief for me, a process of mourning. And even still, I hit those days when I'm, you know, just like, I I don't like this. So I just take a moment because here's the thing that I think is important to remember. We want to judge Naomi. Our, you know, human nature is want, wants to look at Naomi and say what she did was wrong. The way she responded was wrong. She blamed God. She focused too much on herself. She was wallowing in self-pity. But if we look and study, how does God respond to her? He doesn't do any of those things, Denise. Mm. He actually starts looking into her details, moving her from a place of grief to a place of hope. And, you know, if we can give ourselves that same grace that God gave Naomi, He's going to give us that. And if we start you know, to respond in that way, if we start to give Naomi grace over the way she responds, maybe we might give it to ourselves also. Which will give us freedom to land in the comfort of God's arms and say, God, help me. I don't like this. And he will. I mean, he 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 will. So, you know, those those are just some of the ways that I've dealt with that. It's just saying, acknowledging this is this is not the way it's supposed to be, because this we we mm. haven't reached the new heaven yet. Um, God help me in my grief, help me in my bitterness. Yes, you know, and even in like uh, the book uh, I wrote, Thirty-One Days to Hope Reinvented. Yes, there, there is that processing of grief, and you have to acknowledge. 
the big elephants in the room, the disillusionment, you know, the depression, the different things that mm. really make it hard to heal. Um, we just, and we have to be willing to let go, which is so hard because I think we can make an idol out of what we want our story to be or what our story was mm-hmm. and isn't anymore. Um, you, you mentioned a divine setup in the story of Ruth. And one of the struggles to find hope is the understanding that God is at work when our world is falling apart. If God is at work, why doesn't he give us back everything? I think that's our heart sometimes, you know? (laughs) Okay, God, I believe in you, um, and I want everything back to normal. And this is the struggle of the flesh. What helps people to trust God that he is still involved, even if it looks like he has forsaken us? Mm, That's a fabulous question, Denise. And I I think that at the heart of it, you have to switch that question from, if God is at work, why doesn't he give us back everything? Because I've asked that question. You know, why why don't you just make things better? Um, We have to start training our hearts to say, God, you are better than anything I am dealing with. And that's, I think that's the point. It's the point of of walking through hardship. It's the point, well, I mean, I think there, there are two points. Number one, God's going to work through that hardship. There are things that He brings us to, certainly, that just, uh, you know, are a part of advancing His will and the things that He needs accomplished on this earth. And sometimes we'll have the privilege to see that, and sometimes we won't. And we have to trust, you know, that that you know, the, the hardship and the obstacles that we walk through are a part of, of his master plan. And we are a puzzle piece in that master plan. Mm. And then the other piece of that is acknowledging that, you know, God, God is setting us up to fall in love with him. And I think that that divine setup is, you know, when we, we, when we have the courage to say that our stories are a setup to trust Him, to believe in Him, to watch His, His power and might work in this earth. You know, the, the story of, of Ruth, Naomi's story, was set against one of the darkest backdrops. And I think it's that walking in the tension of contrast and light, or the tension of contrast between darkness and light that helps us recognize, you know, God is at work even when the world is falling apart because He's just setting us up to recognize what He's doing. Mm. And I think ultimately the process has to be falling in love with Him and, and seeing God, you are better than anything I think I deserve. You are better than anything that I think is valuable on this earth. Um, And, you know, to your point earlier, where we were talking about how we can make our stories an idol, you know, you, you, you know, that, that, that's, that's the point. I mean, that, that is, that is the point in a nutshell is how, how do we take stories and say, I will not idolize this or the things that I think I deserve. Instead, God, you are better than anything else that I could ever imagine. Help me love you more, even in this hardship. And the more that we love him, the more that we trust that he is always involved, then the less we'll feel like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're not being forsaken. We're being molded. We're being reshaped. We're being built more and more like Jesus. And we're being brought into a relationship that is divine and holy and personal and unbreakable because we realize, look, this, this is nothing compared to the future glory that is awaiting us. Mm, so good. And I think the big thing there is really, like you said, I mean, trusting that God is good. And sometimes I think that can be a, a religious phrase. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, God is good, but it doesn't feel good 
sometimes. And I think that's what we tend to base what is good off of. How is this treating me? Does it feel good to me? But if there is a submission and trust, as you talked about, um, that we can know that all of our times are held in his hands, all mm. of them. And, and nothing is like beyond his sight. And so that is my hope. Uh, but not so much. This is what I learned um, in the middle of all the court proceedings and just horrors that I went through mm-hmm. was I came to this place of no longer just wanting deliverance, just wanting his glory. Yes. And that's when I realized I had been changed, mm-hmm. you know, from, oh, God, why me? Which I totally identify with Naomi there. I mean, it is hard. Mm-hmm. And, and we're allowed to grieve and we're allowed to, we should cry out to God. But the enemy likes to twist that and have us, you know, not trust the one that is the only one that's trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think one reason we can struggle to accept our story is we haven't grieved our loss properly. And by properly, I don't mean that there's one way to grieve. Everyone grieves differently, but we can hinder our healing by not letting ourselves grieve. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about how we give ourselves permission to grieve? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think for for myself, I am I am prone to depressive moods. Uh, you know, a lot of the women in my community deal with anxiety and depression, and, and I'm right there with them. I struggle with anxiety on a daily basis. And so I think we have to build a toolbox for dealing with those things because, you know, grief and depression and anxiety are so intermingled. Mm. So, you know, one of the ways that you know, that that I do that. And, and one of the ways that I approach, you know, giving myself saying it, it's okay to grieve is number one, acknowledging that it's not going to happen right away. This is not a snap your fingers and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be over kind of process. This is a lengthy process, but as Lisa Turkers loves to say, the process is the point because, mm. you know, as we give ourselves over to God and as we trust him with our grief, he changes our hearts. Like you said, I love, I love that you just said, you know, that we, we don't want deliverance, we want God. Um, but, you know, I like building a toolbox of tangible things that you know, just like you said, people grieve in different ways. What are the ways that, you know, makes, that brings your soul peace? One of the things that my editor loves to say uh, when she's asking me a question, if we're if we're trying to to come up with a um, make a decision either in plans or in writing, and she's like, "What what in this situation would bring you to a place of greater peace?" Mm. I love that question so much. I use it almost every day because it's not a question we ask ourselves, right? And so I, I would ask yourself, you know, what what would bring you to a place of greater peace today? Not in three months, not in a year, but today. What are some tangible things that you can do that would bring you to greater peace? Do you need therapy? Do you need talk therapy? Do you need anxiety medication? Um, do you need, um, you know, uh, do you need to reach out to friends? Do you need accountability friends? Do you need a prayer partner? Denise and I have been prayer partners over each other's ministry for five years. Um, you know, do you need, um, you know, support in other ways? Do you need someone to clean your house? Like the, these are like really tangible soul care kind of things, mm. but taking the steps towards giving ourselves permission 
permission to say, this is a season of loss. And, you know, I, I can work through this tangibly while there are tangible things I can do to get myself through this season while I am, you know, pouring my heart out to God. And certainly things like, you know, reading your Bible and staying in the word and, you know, being in prayer and worship. Oh, good grief. Worship changes us so much, you know, doing, doing the tangible things of a relationship with God, but also giving yourself the tools, the practical tools outside of that, that give you space to do that. Those are Mm -hmm. some of the ways that I approach seasons of grief. I used to say to myself, give myself space and grace. Mm-hmm. You know, my house wasn't going to look perfect. My homeschooling day was no longer going to look perfect. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember having a friend come over. I said, okay, if she could teach Latin to my kids, yes. I would teach her kids history. And I would go take a bath while she taught my kids Latin just to sit there and yes. just be still. Because I was a single mom of five kids at that point. And mm-hmm. it was a very, plus health challenges. and uh, But you have to create that space for yourself. You need it. Uh, even if you have to wake up earlier just to be still before him in his word, um, that is that has brought me the greatest peace. So let's talk a little bit about redemption. Uh, I call my husband my kinsman redeemer <laughs> because God brought him into my life when it seemed like there was no hope. But I firsthand first had to find my hope in Christ. You have a section where you talk about our guardian redeemer. What would you like to share on that, Heather? Yeah, so this is such a fabulous nugget of of beautiful truth in the book of Ruth. And for those of you that are not familiar with the characters in the book, Boaz is one of the characters that we meet. And Boaz is, as it turns out, is a family member of Naomi. Naomi has lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. And she and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, come back home to Bethlehem because there's food there. And while they're there, though, they have to figure out how to provide for themselves. Uh, This was not a time when women could live on their own, and they relied on men for provision, protection, um, for for everything. And you know, they they really needed the cover of um, of you know a, a man, a family that would take care of them. And so. Long story short, Naomi uh, pushes Ruth into a way to to communicate with Boaz to say, "Hey, will you marry?" He does, and what he what he does is actually it's a process called a Leverite marriage, where if one family member dies, um, in you know in the Jewish family, then the brother of that family member is supposed to marry the widow and take on all of her debt, all of her. Uh, he's taking over, you know, protecting her, caring for her. Uh, he he's redeeming her life. And, you know, the tangible piece of it is he's redeeming her life, her property, um, and he's also securing the family line in the future. It's beautiful mm-hmm. for Naomi. It's it just just to even you know read it and study it from Naomi's perspective and how that blesses her um, is is beautiful. But what that story actually does is to point us to Christ. Um, you know, in, in Bible study, you know, the fancy term for it is is he is a type of Christ, which means he's a character in the Old Testament that points us to the qualities and characteristics of Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. so, even though Boaz is not Christ, um, there are 
things about him that remind us, you know, if we know the gospel story and we know the New Testament and what Jesus offers, then, you know, as we read what Boaz is doing for Naomi and for Ruth and our minds start to go ding, 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 wait a minute, this reminds me of someone I know, and his name is Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and the so, key words know, there so, are... Or do you know him? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. For people, yes. it's like, because you can try to find hope in all sorts of things, but it really is knowing God, not knowing about him that brings us that hope. Yeah, exactly. And so, so Boaz's name, you know, they refer to him in the book of Ruth as either the guardian redeemer, depending on which translation you're the guardian redeemer or the kinsman redeemer. I love, I love that you call your husband that that's, that's so um, that's just, it's so perfect because, and I I could say the same thing about Tom, Um, but you know, that's the name, but it points us to Jesus because Jesus does that and more for us because he redeems us. He buys back our debt. We're living in debt and sin in this world. Uh, We, you know, we were born into sin, into this world and Jesus pays the price. He buys our debt for us so that we don't have to suffer God's wrath for our sin. He is redeeming our lives. And that's just the start of it. Like the gospel story is that Jesus can redeem and he does redeem. Um, And he saves us from, you know, sin and he saves us from the penalty of our sin. But even more than that, he provides protection, he provides security, he provides provision for us. All the things that, you know, that Boaz offered for Ruth and Naomi, Jesus does for us. And so when, you know, when we read that beautiful uh, interaction between Boaz and Naomi, the widow and Ruth, the daughter-in-law, we can remember that we can find hope in Christ because he is our guardian redeemer. He's redeeming us from anything in our life, not only our hard stories, but also the debt that we have as sinners. He redeems that for us so we can face God face to face without consequence, without penalty, without judgment Mm. because of Jesus. And that is powerful, powerful stuff. It really is. And, you know, I think if we are willing to see our need for redemption, that is so beautiful. You know, it's humbling, but it is such Mm. a hope that we have, that we do have a Redeemer and He lives So thank you so much for being with us, Heather. Mm. Can you please share uh, with our listeners how they can find you? Absolutely. Yeah, so I am online. My website is The Rescued Letters. Rescued as in I write a bunch, excuse me, rescued as in I've been rescued by God and letters as in I write a bunch of letters about it to people. And then I'm on social media at Rescued Letters, wherever you hang out on social media. Awesome. Friends, no matter what is trying to steal your hope, as Heather shared in her study, your story ends with hope too when you are in Christ. What a hope we have. Listen in next week as we continue this discussion with Heather and talk about our actions and God's to find hope. You've been listening to the Seeing Deep podcast where we dive into the Word of God for the answers to life's problems. (laughs) 